Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. We're in um, Colossians chapter 1, looking at the supremacy of the Son of God. So if you want to open up on your devices in your Bibles, we're going to read it through twice, the first time all together, uh, and then more slowly. Give me a thumbs when you're there. Bethan's got two thumbs. Here we go. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I invite you now maybe to um, close your Bibles if you've got them, switch off your devices, and maybe even close your eyes. And we're just going to go through the passage again really slowly. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to highlight certain words, phrases, or verses um, that he longs to draw to our attention tonight. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, 
established and firm. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. John. (laughs) Absolute belter of a passage. Absolute belter. I feel like the Apostle Paul has this capacity to like cram into a paragraph what would take most people to write in a book in terms of theology. Um, So this passage, I mean, in my, um, I I read NIVs by standard, um, and it's called The Supremacy of the Son of God. I'm aware you tend to read the ESV, the extra special version. What, how, how is it? How does, how does it fact, roll? I, in fact, I in don't know. I don't know what it is. There, but if I was to give it my, my own subheading, I might call it theological dynamite or Christological dynamite. Wow. I like that. I like yeah. that. Um, so something which I found, I mean, this, it just has major implications, I think, as a passage for how we, how we think about God and how we live our lives in response to that truth. Um, but something I found super helpful through the years is um, when I've approached scripture, you've always reminded me to um, remember that the scriptures are written for me, but not to me. Um, literally, in this case, we're reading someone else's mail. This is not directed to St. George's Church in Leeds. It's directed um, to a church in Colossae in, what, first century. So tell me, John, what, would the, what might of the initial response of the first readers of this letter have been? And what's your response now as kind of someone in Leeds hip trendy vicar 21st century yeah I don't, I don't want to keep trendy really uh, um, if I was, <laughs> most reference yeah, I'll yeah. give you the nod as you, an MBA. use your imagination Katie imagine that you're a first century believer you've pledged allegiance to Jesus you've pledged allegiance to him you've gone through the waters of baptism and you, you live in Colossae a city of about 50,000 50, and you've heard that the apostle Paul has wrote a letter and you're excited you want to hear it so you head off to church. By church, we're, we're talking house church. You go into a house, there might be, if it's, if it's a big house, there might be 50 people in there. And on your way to church, you're passing statue after statue and temple after temple. And as you're walking to church, you're, he- you're seeing different images of God. Mm. You know, is God like Zeus? Is God like the God of Mars? You know, the war God. Is God, is it, what about Dionysus, the God of partying and, and hedonism? What is God like? And you arrive at church and you begin to re, uh, hear Paul's letter being read. And you're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this acts as a dynamite. It just blows apart these images of God which are found elsewhere in the city and in the marketplace. Instead, at the center of the cosmos is found this Jesus who you have pledged allegiance to. Mm. So good. Um... I feel like often as a lighthouse team, when we're feeling um, maybe a bit weary or frustrated or disillusioned, you just kind of, it's almost like a dare. And you ask us, what if it's true? Like, what if God really is as beautiful and loving and wonderful as that revealed in Jesus? And it's almost like this dare to, do we dare believe it? And what are the implications if we do? Um, But John, so you've mentioned that, you know, for the church in Colossae, there were these other other gods that were kind of vying for, you know, the, the supremacy. Um, 
But even in our own hearts and minds, we can have images of God that we might have constructed over the years that don't look as beautiful and wonderful and loving as that revealed in Jesus. So what might those be? Um, as, you know, yeah, let me take you to take a conversation which happened uh, several years ago in the foyer of the church here with a lady who had been horribly, horribly treated by a group of men. Horribly treated, uh, abused and tortured. And she looked me in the eyes and she said these words to me, why did God do this to me? You see, somehow she picked up an image of God that, that God is, is in control of all events, including the suffering which she had received at the, at the hands of these uh, at, the, at the hands of these men. Um, so a concept of God which is there in the air is that, is that God is somehow the puppet master of pain. Mm. And sometimes we construct this image and when we go through suffering, we, we blame God. Mm. And if we did, you know, what would the Apostle Paul say? Look to Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. What is God like? like? He's exactly like Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you see not someone who causes mm. terrible wickedness and suffering, but someone who opposes it. Mm. He opposes evil. He opposes oppression. He opposes injustice. And he goes towards it with love mm. and mercy and compassion. You see, who would want to get close and intimate and personal with a, a God who is a puppet master of pain. But we don't, we can, you know, we can blow that out of the water because of what we find in Christ. So that's one, one picture of God. Mm. Um, I've got time for, 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 for one, one more. Mm. Let's go to the other end of the extreme. We've got God as the absent landlord. So with a puppet master of pain, God is in meticulous control of all events and directing them. God of the absent landlord is a God who sets the world in motion in a sense, it winds up the clock, but then he's outside of time. God is the unmoved mover who is wholly other, but we can't see how he journeys with us. Yeah. He journeys with us. And what, do we, what would we do with Paul? He would say, no, no, God looks like Jesus. As Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And we see Jesus in space, in time, coming alongside the broken and the hurting and journeying with them. Can you see now that picture of Jesus mm. allows us to deconstruct these false images which we build in our hearts? Well, I've given a, a couple of, what about you, Katie? What, what false images of, of God have you sort of constructed? I think I can swing between kind of two extremes. Um, one is that God is like this harsh taskmaster who I have to come to in order to get his attention or his affection or his approval. I have to produce this long list of good deeds and good behavior that I've managed this week. But he's never fully satisfied and I'm constantly kind of striving to, to prove my worth and it can feel like a bit of a performance. Um, which again, when I come to Jesus and I, I look at the ways that he interacts with people in the gospels, I see that it's, it's not those that have it all together that he gravitates towards, but those who are honest about their brokenness and name their need for him and hold nothing back. And it's like he's a magnet towards that. So I find the harsh taskmaster is one that I, I can 
And I'm just reminded on that word where Jesus, he describes himself. He says, come to me all the weary and Mm -hmm. heavy laden and I'll give you more tasks to do. No, he doesn't (laughs) say that, kid. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. What he says is, I'm gentle. I'm lowly. That Jesus is gentle. Mm. what, What an image of God that is. And in Jesus is the full, definitive revelation of God. And so this mm. taskmaster mm. picture, just that, 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 that yeah. needs to be removed. Yeah, and that, the scripture that speaks of how he draws us to himself with cause of loving kindness, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's, yeah, so, so good. But I can then swing, John, right the other way, to an image of God that is more kind of like a doting grandpa for whom, like, is very laissez-faire, anything goes, you do you, hon. Um, and that can be unhelpful as well because um, I can very much put myself at the center and my comfort, my convenience, my happiness is God's number one priority. And again, when I come to Jesus, that kind of gets blown out the water again when he says things um, that are uncomfortable, like, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, this torture instrument, and, and walk behind me, and who has very clear teachings on what it means to order my life in allegiance to him, um, which are very contrary to what culture and society tells me I need to do and to have in order to be happy. Jesus paints a very different picture um, of what the blessed, the good life looks like um, as we follow him. So those are, yeah, some some constructs, I guess, of these images of God that we might come to, this baggage that we can carry in our hearts and our minds. Um, But my guess is that there are other, perhaps gods with a small g, that would have been present for the the Colossians church. but also here and now, maybe gods and idols, if we want to call them that, that we wouldn't bow the knee to on our way to church. Um, you mentioned there might be these statues and other things um, for the church in Colossae, but what are some of the other things vying for our attention, our affection, our allegiance um, here and now? Well, before we go to here and now, Jump back. Let's, uh, let's go back to the first century, use mm-hmm. our imaginations. Um, in the first century, you're born into a world where on your coins, on the inscriptions as you enter into a city, with your festivals, what you do for entertainment. Um, It's involved in the marketplace. When you go to the marketplace, you are being fed an idea about the empire, of Rome's greatness and Rome's supremacy, that problems of the world can be solved by the Roman Empire, that Rome holds the power of life and death. And this is a, a, a myth or a story which has been uh, beat out on a daily basis, almost from the moment people are born until the moment that they die. Mm. And yet, that early church would have gathered, heard the words spoken by the Apostle Paul, saying that the center of the cosmos is not Caesar. Mm. The center of the cosmos is the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. That it isn't Rome that can solve the world's problems. In fact, Rome would try and solve the world's problems through the edge of the sword, but rather the reconciliation of all things is found in Jesus, and he's the one who rules and reigns, not with a sword, but he rules and reigns through self-giving, sacrificial love. And the early church as well would have seen that God has hands and feet in the world. Mm. He has a body. Mm. He has a body, and the head of that body is Jesus. 
You know, this passage here talks about Jesus being the one who has been raised from the, from the dead. He's the beginning of the creation. Suddenly, these early believers are given a fresh imagination, a fresh narrative that this world isn't the way it has to be and mm. always will be. Mm. But a new world is possible because Jesus is alive. Now, that's ancient world, ancient world. And if I was asking us, you know, how many people have bowed down to Caesar today, we wouldn't get many sort of, you know, affirmative you know, answers. But from almost from the moment we're born, we, each of us here, have been seduced into believing that um, many of the world's problems and many of the problems of our identity can be solved through consumerism, unrestrained capitalism, and individualism. That this is just the way that it is, and so we implicitly, and even sometimes explicitly, bow the knee to these things, that this is, this is just how the world is, and we need to hear afresh mm. that these are false gods bringing destruction, like Rome. You know, it, it's all, you know, Pax Romana brought peace to the world, but actually it was built on, on, on butchery and oppression. So do the gods of our age, this unholy trinity we might call them, consumerism, unrestrained capitalism, and individualism, they destroy our souls. They destroy the way that we relate mm. to each other. We see others as consumers and not just made in the image of God. Or we see ourselves on the throne and not Jesus on the throne. But not only do they destroy ourselves and our relationships, they are bringing destruction to God's mm. good world as we, you know, as we plunge further into climate breakdown, mm. you know, behind the scenes of these dark forces of the unholy trinity. Mm. And the Apostle Paul, you know, uh, by God's spirit today is reminding us that actually there's, we need a new imagination. Yeah. We need to center the story on Jesus. Mm. So good. Um, I read recently that we, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. And I've just, I've been reflecting on that and how so much of the, the sin in my own life comes back to this believing a lie about what will make me happy. And often that's a lie that feeds into a bit of a disordered desire within me that actually if I buy that thing um, or if I indulge that appetite, then I'll be happy. And so it kind of feeds into this disordered desire and that's then affirmed by a society and a culture that is not under the Lordship of Jesus, that affirms that and celebrates that and encourages that. And then before I know it, I'm completely out of sync with, with who I am and who God's called me to be. Um, so what is, you've mentioned in this passage, actually I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. Um, the Apostle Paul, I think, is in verse 18. He talks of how Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn um, of the dead. And um, Tim Kelly has got this wonderful phrase. He says that the resurrection is not um, a cool trick. It's an invasion. And I think it's really helpful when we think of all these different vying narratives um, that are seeking to kind of, um, yeah, seduce us with our attention, our affection, our allegiance, to come back to the goodness of the story that we're given in the scriptures in Jesus. And I don't know if anyone's read the final pages, but it's a pretty good story. It ends very well. Um, it ends with the restoration of all things, of Christ returning to wipe every tear and right every wrong and heal every hurt, and this wonderful celebration of the new heavens and the new earth, and the incredible truth um, that the early church, it was dynamite for them, is that 
this isn't just something that we wait for passively. This is something that we, we can enact and embody and sow into. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of how nothing done for the Lord is wasted, that every good deed, every kind word, every time we stand for truth and justice, that is not wasted. Actually, somehow that seed that sows into the, the new creation, and it's enhanced there. Nothing is wasted. And so you spoke of how Christ is the head and we are the body. And um, the invitation, I think, of, of this passage and the thread throughout Scripture is to tell and enact and embody a better story than that which the world gives us. In a culture of scarcity and fear, we get to be people of radical generosity and hospitality who welcome those at the table who look and think and speak differently to us. In a world of, um, of complacency, we are people of conviction um, who get caught up in this conspiracy of compassion. In a dog-eat-dog -dog world, we are a people who care for the vulnerable, the needy, the marginalized amongst us. We embody, we enact, we tell a better story. Um, and what if, what if that's true? Mm. What if it's true that God has revealed himself fully in Jesus, the one who was crucified, the one who was raised to life, who's alive forevermore? And what if Jesus is calling us to be part of this um, sort of Jesus revolution, mm. where he's our compass and guide, we seem to live out, we seem to look and love like him, so perhaps become these outposts of the kingdom that point to yeah. mm. And perhaps yeah. there's hope. Perhaps there's hope. And so as we kind of, we're going to do a bit of a soul workshop in a moment, guys. So just giving your heads up to prep for that. Um, John, for those of us that are maybe feeling, when we talk about the lordship of Jesus and the supremacy of the son, um, there's a little bit of a disconnect, um, perhaps because we know that Jesus isn't fully Lord of our lives or that there's areas of our lives where he's not Lord. For those of us that have maybe become a bit disillusioned or complacent or whatever that looks like, how do we align ourselves in light of this reality? How do we come back and pledge our allegiance to Jesus again? What does it mean to fall in love with Jesus again, basically? Look to him. Let him be your compass and guide. Well, John, how do, you, how, do you, how do you look to him? Well, start with the Gospels. Mm. Read and reread the Gospels. Fall in love with the person, the character, and the work of Jesus. And then gather around or join a community of those who seek to live out this story. And, you know, just an encouragement for those who are perhaps younger, younger than me here most people, um, is to... You're cool, you're hip, you're is young. Is to seek to find those who can mentor you and train you up to follow, uh, to follow Jesus. So to uh, look to Jesus, be around those who are uh, into Jesus, who are, who are sold out for him and his kingdom. And then thirdly, it's an uncomfortable word for us in the 21st century, is to... Have a life where you repent from evil. You repent from false images of God which don't line up with Jesus. So Jesus is our, our compass, our guide. We're drawn to him, but when we stray, we recognize it. We take stock. We repent, which means change direction. We get back on track to turn from this way and turn towards Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And John, can I just publicly say, I feel like I look and 
I look and love more like Jesus for your witness, your integrity, the way that you have embodied these values. You're not always a very comfortable person to be around, um, but I often leave feeling like I know Jesus better. So thank you so much for not just myself, but many others that you have. Um, yeah, well, you've... And also, and I mean, you know, as someone older in, in years by sort of uh, decades and whatever, is what joy and delight mm. leaders get when they see other, other, others taking hold of the Jesus vision and, and, and running with it. And then you, you kind of it reignites your sort of enthusiasm as, as well. Amen to that. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.